This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Uh, Shag was late to joining this recording session for Spooko, and normally that is manna from heaven for me. Normally that's a chance for your boy Peach to do a little bit of last-minute prep that enables him just to sort of come in hot a little bit to an old Spooko episode and just have, you know, Googled an academic journal or looked over peachandshag.blogspot.com, a very embarrassing blog you and I co-hosted about 13 years ago, if anyone's inclined to perform a bit of Google food. Lots of stuff there's aged very poorly, and I stand behind none of it. And Shag, I encourage you to stand behind none of it as well. Um, and today I just got sucked into law Twitter because hilariously, there's you know, like we're in our everyone cares about AI, you know, phase of culture at the moment. I give it another three months. Shag, this is NFPs two years ago. You know, this is cannabis four years ago. This is flipping real estate six years ago. This is just whatever the fucking zeitgeist is. But um, there's a lawyer who got AI to draft his submissions. And submissions are what they sound like. They're sort of the arguments you make for the court. And the AI, you know, what, like whatever you call it, the, the language engine. I don't want to say chat GBT. I want to describe the sort of thing it is. Shag, what is it? Large language model or fucking whatever it is. The generative AI. The generative AI. It made up all these cases. It was like, hey, judge, you should, you should do these orders. Because in the classic case <laughs> of Smith and Magoo of 2003, that's so made up all these fake cases. And, you know, lawyers, we get one joke every two years that sort of breaks through um, into pop culture. And, and, you know, there was the I'm a cat. Shag, Shag you would have seen that. I there. remember that, The yeah. lawyer who joined the hearing who had the yeah. cat filter yeah. on, I'm not a cat. Actually, surprisingly funny if you end mm. up seeing it. And then this, I, I think it's got a chance to get real legs to get cut through to sort of third-tier pop culture. Shag, I think you might be hearing about the lawyer who used AI to cite made-up cases and then has to, like, go into evidence of, like, oh, I'm so sorry, here's... <laughs> I normally don't use AI to submit made-up cases. Here's my usual practice. This time I used AI and it submitted a few made-up cases. It's, uh, it's crazy stuff, Gooey. I mean, let's talk about the zeitgeist, or whatever you want to call the cultural North Star, that mm. increasingly every single part of popular culture is pointing towards. And when you think about it in that sense, mm. AI is only accelerating that, right? All AI does mm. is read what's happened before and go, here's an approximate, or here's where I think, you know, it, it can create new connections that you might not have seen before, but it basically goes, mm. here's based on what you've done, how I think you would like an answer to this to look like, sort of thing. Yeah. This is how questions like this have been answered in the past. Yeah. Or how you could answer a question like this based on millions of inputs that I'm able to mm. read that you're not able to read because mm. that's not how your brain operates. Uh, mm. And what what I think is interesting about the zeitgeist, and I, I think the zeitgeist is the best way to describe it, 
mm. is that horror is no different, right? So as culture moves, mm. horror definitely follows that too. Mm. And I think one of the most interesting parts of that is how horror used to treat mental illness and how it has to treat it now. And yes. you know, this is something like we've grappled on this show as well. I think it's kind of amazing that our relationship has evolved over mm. the course of this podcast Yes, to begin with us. You know, you, do, you sometimes see this. I think there's one episode where I just kept in from where we literally turned the Zoom on. But at the start of our conversation, before mm. we hit record, we usually just kind of ask, how are you doing? Yeah. Not in the way that I used to ask it, where it's literally just the beginning of a conversation. Yeah. This is a chance for you to say, fine, how are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but genuinely want to know, right? Like, yeah. I, I think it's so interesting. And that's part of the fact that, you know, we're part of culture, Horace part of culture. Yeah. Our understanding of mental illness has evolved to the fact that we know people have shit going on. And we understand a little bit about what that looks like outside of, oh, that person's crazy, that person's not crazy. Like, mm. we covered that Christmas movie. What's it called? Like, Silent Night, Deadly Night or whatever, where- Oh, uh, yeah. A classic just loony bin. I'm like, yeah, I've got to go after the loony bin. Yeah, because, like, I saw Santa, like, sexually assault my mom, and thus that turned me into a serial killer who kills people every Christmas. Like, that plot couldn't fly now because horror, mm. like, everything has moved on and we understand- Mental mm. illness a bit better. So, thought mm. just really struck me today while I was watching a film that mm. ostensibly does what horror has always done, which is a character who is gaslit by everyone around them to be like, you're just crazy. You're not, you're like, these things mm. aren't real. You're not experiencing it. It's a practical joke. And, and, and mm. carries this in a really sophisticated way to the point where it has a really great line at the very end of this film, which I think is a really powerful metaphor for both the experience of adverse mental illness effects mm. and how you can cope with them, which, which I did not expect to see in a horror film. And you wouldn't see in a horror film outside of this, this zeitgeist where we actually understand mental health a little bit better than we have before. I, I, I was so surprised by this film. In fact, the reason I was late, you know, and Peach talks about me being late, I was late because I was like, usually I'd either put it in like fast forward or <laughs> I'd be like, I just look up the Wikipedia to be like, I know what's going to happen. Let me just see what happens at the end. And then I jump on the call. But I was like, I kind of have to watch this properly and I kind of have to see how this ends because it was a sophisticated, scary, disturbing, shocking and surprisingly successful horror film from 2022. So today, Peach, I'm really excited to be doing this one. I wanted to do this one for a while. It, it, the reviews were kind of good. The marketing was good. I'd like to talk about the marketing as soon as we finish seeing this trailer because obviously mm. the trailer is the biggest part of marketing, but for this film, wasn't the best part of the marketing. Uh, today, Peach, we're doing a 2022 psychological supernatural horror film called Smile. All right. What is it you like to talk about? My patient. Hi. I know you're nervous. I just want to have a chat. I'm seeing something no one else can see except for me. It's smiling at me. Oh, she's Australian. Yeah. Yesterday, a patient in your care died brutally in front of you. I need to find an explanation for what happened. It's smiling at me. 
smiling at me. You're going to die! You're going to die! I found 20 cases involving 19 victims with a direct line linking them all together. You said only 19. Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead and you're alive? I've seen it too. And also, you're going to die is not a scary thing to say. It's It should inform us <laughs> as we move through life. Okay. You? How long between each victim's death? None of them survived longer than a week. Today's my fourth day. I am not gonna keep running. I have to face it. How does that make you feel? I'm just really scared that something bad is going to happen. Sick, 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 sick. This is the precise reason for this podcast. This is a perfect shag. What happens in that scary horror movie? I'm too scared to watch. I want to. Why do they smile? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Peach, I reckon straight up you could not watch this film. Oh, no. This film has so many good jump scares. I yep. swear to God, I was sitting on my couch in my home in the morning, like in a bright, sunny Sydney morning, yep. and I found myself being like, Oh my god! Oh, oh geez. <laughs> just properly like freaking myself out so many times. It has so many jump scares. It has like real gore and like really good inventive horror gore, not just slasher gore, but proper like horror, horror, horror gore. Yeah, it looks awesome. I want to never watch it and also learn everything about it at the same time. I can't wait to tell you all mm. about it. And also something that's really interesting as well. Mm. Before we go, before we delve properly into this film. Back to what I was saying pre the trailer in Mm. that horror has evolved as culture has evolved, especially when it comes to our understanding of mental illness. It used to be the tag of a psychological horror film or a psychological film Mm. was like there were there were no supernatural entities. Like that's all it meant. Like the bad guys were people. It's code for no ghosts. Yeah. Whereas now in this film, there definitely are well, there definitely is something. They don't really explain all the, you know, you'll see exactly what this thing is. But I think more and more, when you hear the tag psychological horror film, what it actually means is this antagonist or the plot of this film is an analogy or a recreation of the experience of having certain kinds of mental illness or the effects of mental illness more and more. And that is exactly why this film is a psychological horror film. like early on in the film, I was close to just groaning and being like, uh, it's all going to be a metaphor for everybody. Uh, for burnout. Yeah, awesome. And it's, it's <laughs> for it's, Zoom fatigue. <laughs> for Zoom fatigue. But it's so much better than that. Yeah, nice. The other thing I want to talk about, you know, maybe we don't talk about it enough, mm. is what a rich territory horror films are for great PR campaigns. Mm. PR essentially being that arm of advertising that's literally about making a splash, that's creating as big a moment for, mm. for, the, for the release of something so you can get as many eyeballs on it as possible. You know, traditionally that involves press releases going out to media organizations. It involves co-opting a celebrity to do something because the celebrities have fans and thus you get their fans to look at your thing so you find a celebrity that aligns with it. But often horror don't have those big budgets, but what they do have are these crazy, creepy worlds 
And so they become this really interesting creative territory where it's like, I don't have a big budget, but I do have a cool, creepy world to bring into the real world. What can we do? Mm. Um, Some really notable executions of horror PR campaigns in the past have been when the Blair Witch- Surely Blair Witch. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. When the Blair Witch uh, project came out, they intentionally hid the actors from the film and created like an online- I guess, sort of alternate reality where they'd gone missing and put up, like, missing posters around, I think, where, where, wherever it was screamed, like Khan or whatever. So it actually felt like these people were real and had gone missing, right? I'm sure that's super irresponsible and could not be done these days. Like, <laughs> Probably not. That feels so cowboy. Like, looking back on it, it's like, maybe these people are dead. I'm like, I'm not sure you can, I'm not sure you can say I, that. Like, I, like, don't take me... Don't take me in my word on this, and mm. I've never worked in PR, but I'm sure the best PR campaigns are super irresponsible. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think they kind of have to be. Like, I think the term snuff, I think, actually comes from, like, a 70s Brazilian horror film called that was meant to be a snuff film in that <clears throat> they, they had this bit at the end of the film where, like, it was just a horror movie, but then at the end, tacked on was, like, the main character being killed weirdly like out of sequence of the film and everyone's a bit like what what was that to be like this was a you know this actually happened same thing with cannibal holocaust again don't love that name but Mm. the creator of that film had to go to court because they were like this is a snuff film and and he eventually had to produce the actors to be like okay i know we made it look like it was a documentary and all these people got killed but actually here they are and they're, they're, you know, they're still alive. Or even Antrim, like, like I think sort of that framing device to be like, hey, everyone died watching this film. It's a documentary. Yeah, like the, the, the new Scream did a similar thing on TikTok where they basically had a, a character from the film essentially create her own TikTok account where she's existing in our world, but she also exists in the Scream world, where she's the usual, she's a horror fan. Here are my top horror films. Hey, actually, have you heard about this killer that's happening in our town, Woodsboro? And then eventually her, her final TikTok is her being killed by Ghostface sort of thing. And, and I think that happened like a couple of days before the film came out. Or even the It remake. I remember this happened in Australia. I don't know if this happened outside of Australia, but mm. the PR firm had like a really good win by... Early one morning, they literally drove around Sydney and oh, found storm balloons. drains and just oh. attached red balloons to storm drains all around Sydney. People were just like, what the fuck? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just- Well, you're so right. So, they essentially littered is what you're telling me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, like so I guess, yeah, the, like the PR thing has got to push push boundaries. A, also, a for adults, that's super creepy. Uh, for kids like Golden Child who loves balloons- be enchanting and be like, check oh, like, some balloons everywhere. <laughs> let's, let's go see it. I understand it's coming out this weekend. <laughs> so Smile, I think, mm. has the best of all of them. Smile has maybe the best PR campaign I've ever seen for a horror film, and it could not have been cheaper. It, it essentially was the cost of a couple of actors, and maybe not even a couple of actors. Maybe it's literally just friends of the PR agency. A little bit of T-shirt printing, and then some tickets to a baseball game. So what they did was they printed the name of the film and, you know, the date it was coming out. So Smile, whatever date mm. it came out, into 2022. Um, bought these people tickets to baseball games and instructed them to just stand up in their seat, look for wherever the camera is, and just stand staring at the camera, smiling oh, the entire time. Oh, that's so good. The idea would be eventually a camera's going to pick you up. And it did. 
and nobody was told about this, or as far as I know, like, look, like, oh, again, so PR good. is a dark art. I'm sure, yeah. like, I'm guessing maybe it was a little bit orchestrated behind the scenes, but as far as I can tell from, you know, a consumer, it seemed like it was very much like these people were just sent in, they just stood up smiling at the camera, and it, it was on news reports. It was on people's social media. It went everywhere because everyone was like, what the fuck are these creepy people smiling at the camera? Because at the end of the day... The film is based on a pretty cool classic horror premise of taking something wholesome and making it scary, which is smiling. Ah, uh, like this gets 11 out of 10 so far, this movie. I think it's really good, Peach. And again, like I said, I think this is a perfect episode of Spooko because there's no way you could watch this film, but I think you're going to love this film anyway. Sick. So, at a psychiatric ward, Therapist. I do like starting off, though, being like, I think this is a perfect episode of Spooko. <laughs> <laughs> I did get I, a little bit cocky in our um, we're, we're on fire sort of era, and I'm trying to trying to chill a little bit because I don't want to jinx us. But, Chag, this could be a perfect episode. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, actually, yeah. And it's not even jinxing. It's I And, and I'm going to talk about this in a later episode where I talk about the film I saw. But right now, mm. Sydney Film Festival's on, and with every film festival, there's always a horror program. And I saw a film during the horror program where the programmer did a bit of a speech beforehand and he got up and he was like, look, I don't want to, you know, like, I don't want to say, like, it was a sequel. And he's like, I just want you to know that even if you've seen the first one, this is heaps better than the first one. And it was the worst thing he could possibly do because I was going in there with, like, horror sequel expectations, which is like, it's just going to be a continuation of the universe. And... He then changed that all and was like, put me in sky-high expectations. It wasn't as good, and it pissed me off, and it was only until a couple of days later that I made peace with the film. So, yeah, I don't... Look, (laughs) this is is good. This has the good... This has the right... This has the right elements of a potentially enjoyable episode of Spooko, (laughs) depending on what you like about this podcast, which might be different to what we like about yeah, this podcast. You might like shit episodes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tough luck. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. Let's get into this film. Okay. So mm. at a psychiatric ward, therapist Dr. Rose Cutter meets with Laura Weaver, a graduate student. Um, you pointed this out in the trailer. That this graduate student was played by an Australian, Caitlin Stacey, you know her from Neighbours. She's in this fabulous series, Shag, that I think Spooko fans would enjoy, or even Peaches. It's Caitlin C A I T. She's in this amazing series that is on one of our streaming things, Shag. It is so fucking sick that I can't tell you. Class of 07? Yes. Have you seen it? I've seen bits of it. I've seen it when Adele was watching it. It's fucking stunning. If you have not seen Class of 07, if you're in Australia, I'm pretty sure you'd be able to find it free somewhere. It is perfect. Sorry, go ahead. My apologies. Anyway, uh, uh, just- No, sorry, I completely sucked the air out of the room. Um, uh, Shag, it's set at where we went to high school. Oh, no, sorry, it's not set there. It's filmed there. What? Are you serious? Pretty sure, yeah. It looked just oh. like it. It was like big old sandstone building. Holy fuck, I do need to actually watch this show. Anyway, that's weird. Mm. Uh no, I like. I guess I do need to point it out because there is this weird. There's this thing about seeing Australians making it out of the Australian entertainment bubble because, mm. uh, like, I I do think more and more as I watch 
big budget Australian productions that are for Australian audiences, whether that be film, TV, music, whatever, there's a there's a far lower bar for things being good yeah. here. Like like and I, I don't mean to be I don't mean to be shit, but it's like I always take more interest when like you can call it like tall poppy syndrome or whatever, but I don't mm. think it's that. I just think like it's cultural cringe. It's the opposite. And, mm. and you can call it that, but I think it's mm. more that if something passes the test where people outside of Australia enjoy it, I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe you're aiming for a higher bar than the Australian bar. Yes. But, but like, I think it's a true thing. So when I see someone like Caitlin, and yes, I know her from Neighbours, and yes, you know her from Class of 07, but also, you know, existing outside of the Australian entertainment bubble, my, you know, my, my ears prick up, which is why often in this show, we're always like, oh, Australian actor, Australian actor. It's probably one of the reasons I do it. Anyway, 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 please. I'm so having fun. We're still in the best episode of Spooko ever. Should I go and <laughs> fuck it up? It can only go downhill from here. So, okay. So, Dr. Rose is interviewing this graduate student mm. who is having a psychotic episode where no one can really respond to her. And Laura claims that there's an entity that only she can see taking the form of people she knows, smiling the worst smile she's ever seen, terrorizing her, and has been telling her that she's going to die, and nobody believes her when she tells them. And so, obviously, Rose goes into therapist mode and is like, look, I'm sure. And, you know, we know that one of the biggest... One of the most no 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 <laughs> yeah no 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 not gaslighting. One of the most important things you have to do to connect with people is to validate their experience, right? Like <clears throat> you don't necessarily have to be like this is happening, but to validate that they feel it. So she's like, I know that this must feel super real to you. Like <clears throat> I understand this must be terrifying. And this must feel That's like- such unfortunate language. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, like it feels super real because it is real. You <laughs> <fucking> <laughs> yeah. So Laura's basically like, you're just the same as everybody. Why won't anybody believe me? And all of a sudden, she starts like screaming. Like she looks behind Rose. Rose looks behind her, can't see anything. She looks behind Rose and like falls off her chair, stumbles mm. to the floor and is like backs away into the corner, backs away into the, like the corner of this room screaming Mm. dr rose turns around grabs the emergency phone is like hey i'm having a patient who's having an episode i really need some help right now can you please come to this room as quickly as possible turns around she sees laura standing up calm and like just smiling at her we then notice that laura has a shard of broken pottery in her hand because when she moved back she knocked over uh, like a, a vase she picks up the shard and, like, kind of slits her Blech. throat, but starting with her cheeks, so almost making a big smile on her face. Chelsea Grin style, yeah. Yeah, but, but like, going from her cheek down underneath her chin to oh. her neck and then across, and Gah. then she falls down dead. Good. Later, Rose sees another manic patient, Carl, who is just smiling and shouting that he's going to die. But when Carl sees her, he starts saying, you're going to die, you're going to die, but then smiling and shouting and repeating it, being like, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. Rose calls for nurses to restrain him, only to find when the nurses arrive that he has been asleep the whole time and she was possibly imagining it. Concern for Rose's mental well-being, her supervisor, Dr. Morgan Desai, gives her a week off. Psychologists often 
like psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, mm. you expect them to be the most well-adjusted people in the world, but often it's like the it's off often it's like the opposite, or at least they're just people who are also dealing with things and also have to go and see people. That's why they're uh, attracted to the job. They're trying to fix themselves. <laughs> no, that's like no, we, like we make that joke. That's yeah, like all your mates who yeah. Yeah, or they've had experience with it and they want to help mm. other people or whatever, mm. right? Like there's Which some awesome. interest Sorry, in it that comes from personal experience. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. right? Mm. And I think this does a really good job of like creating her as that character where it's like she's a really good therapist, but also she sees some fucked up things in this like, you know, this hospital emergency trauma unit and her supervisors are like, okay, there's something going on. You need to take a week off. In the following days, Rose's hallucinations continue and- I don't think they're all described in here, but there's heaps of jump scares. There's a moment where she has, like, she has a security system and she plays back the tapes and she hears underneath her being, like, freaked out by, like, something in the house, an entity slowly whispering her name, Rose, and then the camera goes into her close while she's editing. And it kind of reminded me when I'm editing Spooko and I'm trying to get rid of the sound <laughs> or I'm trying to add something cool. And, like, the camera goes in close as she's editing and she's trying to hear this whisper rose. And then we see the scary face of Laura from the beginning, you know, appear behind her face and just be like, Rose! And then she falls off a chair and there's no one there, right? <sighs> That's a good jump scare. Now, because of this, mm. what's cool about this is she only sees this, right? But mm. It does that thing that horror movies do where everyone else just notices her starting to act like off and not herself. Mm. Uh, as this Wikipedia describes it, this leads those around her to believe she's unhinged and possibly dangerous. She visits her former therapist, Dr. Madeline Northcott, who suggests that her problems stem for her abusive and mentally ill mother who died from an overdose which she witnessed as a child. So... Again, not in this Wikipedia synopsis, but the very first thing we see in this film is the face of a woman who we assume is dead or dying, and then a young girl bearing witness to that. And we now realize that that's what we saw. We saw, you know, Rose as a child witnessing her mom overdosing. Later, Rose attends her nephew's birthday party. And Earlier on in the film, before mm. before I realized how awesome this was, I was doing lots of other things because I, I guess when, I, when I'm watching a horror film now, I'm kind of, I'm in research mode. I'm not just in yeah. horror enjoyer mode. But th- they have a cat called, uh, so Rose and her partner have a cat called Mustache, which I think is a great name for a cat. Perfect. Like, and, you know, like it's hard to name a pet or a baby and it's really easy to fuck it up or come up with something that everyone else has done. So Mustache the cat's great, right? Oh, look, it, but also a, a safe... A safe name for pets is always a human name, which I still think is a really fun idea. Like <laughs> calling a yeah, calling a pussycat John or something. I think <laughs> it's, like it's a pretty safe bet. So they have this cat called Mustache. Mustache. There's there's some suggestion that Mustache has gone missing or hasn't been around for a little while. Anyway, Rose is at her nephew's birthday party, so she has an older sister who has a husband and, and a young boy. He's probably about like nine or ten. They're at his birthday. There's really good sound editing in this scene. And again, I know we're not filmo, but mm. it reminded me of the fact that there are some songs that you know from like the earliest moments of the beginning, right? Like if somebody goes, some, you know yeah. that's going to be All Star. Or if mm. someone goes, 
it's been, you know, that's going to be one week, right? <laughs> yeah. And I always think about happy birthday. You literally know, like, uh, what, like yeah, if you just go, ha, like, you know that means happy birthday. And there's this cool moment where it's like, I, I can't remember, that, like, I think they just go, like, happy birth. Or, or, like, there's one note where we're, we're watching the whole the whole room sing happy birthday to this kid, but then we zoom in on Rose's experience uh, of her just feeling like off and not part of everything, and this note just elongates, and it's kind of amazing. That yeah. moment ends with everyone being like, "Okay, so this next gift is from your aunt Rose." Ooh. And so he opens the gift, and you know something's wrong. He pulls out a dead mustache. Okay. And the entire, and his face, like this kid acts it so well. We talk about this, you know, like we talk about our kids. I I think about Golden Child's experience with the world and how innocent and open they approach everything because they haven't really been, like they have like kids hitting them and they have kids saying, I don't like you or I hate you or whatever at like preschool, but they haven't been exposed to the true negativity of the world. Mm. And this kid manages to act that complete shattering of innocence in this shot of pulling this dead cat out of a box. The entire room seems to, like, shrink away from Rose, horrified. And Rose is basically like, I didn't do that. That's not me. You have to believe me. She then sees one of the guests smiling at her and she falls back onto a glass table again freaking everybody out even more she gets up she's got glass shards in her arms and legs and she's hurt her wrist so the incident convinces rose that she has fallen victim to a curse however when rose tries to tell her fiance trevor he doesn't listen as well as everyone else thinking she's crazy and again like i said i think Already, they've done a really good job of trying to put this idea of, you know, she has experienced a lot of trauma in her life. Mm. And thus, is this manifesting in, in this way where she's, her experiences is at odds with everyone else, right? Like, it's, it's still that horror trope of, like, I'm seeing some scary shit that no one else is seeing and everyone's gaslighting me or whatever. But I think just in a like a, a like a more well, it's more sophisticated than mm. that. I think, um, in that she'd have the tools as well to be like, "Fuck, am I?" You know, to be destabilizing for her, which I think is rare with the depictions of gaslighting we we often discuss. You, you know, the victim of gaslighting is rarely as empowered as Rose is to understand the way her brain's working. Yeah, this is this is interesting, and I think. You know, I, I think about how everybody responds to it and it, it's kind of true. It's like I think everybody has a family member in our extended family that we're really easy to dismiss. Like if they do something fucked up, you're like, oh, fucking Uncle Dan's done it again. Well, herd, like, herd mentality is like that. I mean, like you talked about Golden Child's experience with school. Like at school we weren't super popular, but there were kids who were very unpopular who you're like, oh, do not. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, like that herd that herd mentality of like, yeah, okay, we're not like the most popular ever, but it's like at least it's not like we're not in the fucking fuck up zone or like whatever you want to call it. That like herd mentality of like there is some danger of people who are such outliers from the herd of like just stay away from 
these profound outliers and you'll be fine. And so many people must have like proper unprocessed trauma from high school. It's like, <laughs> I think about high school in the, you know, and, and you're right. Like people definitely had, had it worse at our school. But what we had was an experience of never being able to be comfortable because you had to constantly be on your guard of you can't go here. You can't speak to these people. Mm. You have to avoid these people noticing you. So effectively, we had six years of heightened anxiety. Well, this like this is this is where like the boarding school experience as well gets really weird. I'm not sure if you've spoken any, to any grown ups or contemporaries who've done boarding school. Like, I, like I, I sort of had a couple of like fairly profound chats of people who boarded at our school who were like, "Oh, fucking worst time of my life." Like, would never send my kids to do it. But I look back on it with great fondness and made some amazing <laughs> friendships. It's like, and it's still like, and they're like, yeah, look, I can't make those two things work, and I appreciate their contradictions. But for some reason, this fucking awful thing um, has created some of the tightest bonds and friendships that I can ever imagine having. It's really interesting. You have yeah. complex feelings towards it, right? Like, yeah. I saw a really great. Sorry, we are going on so many tangents. I saw a really mm. good tweet recently that was like, <laughs> sometimes I look back on having an abusive parent and thinking it's actually pretty funny because it's like, why did you have beef with me, mom? I was six. I love you. <laughs> why did you have beef with me, right? mom? <laughs> <laughs> uh, mom had free smoke for everyone. Ah. Anyway, all I want to say is I think this film does a mm. really good job of not trying to be like, this is exactly what trauma feels like or this is mm. blah, 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 but just giving a more nuanced portrayal of what it would be like to be this character and to create a metaphor for something while still being a horror movie and still being true to that classic horror movie trope mm. of a curse that's happening to you that nobody else will really understand. Anyway, upon learning that Laura's professor... Now, remember, like she thinks she's got a curse. Nobody else does, so she starts mm. investigating, right? Mm. So she finds out that Laura's professor was grinning at her before his death, because she's able to look through oh, the Laura's notes. Oh, Laura's her patient. Sorry. Yeah, Laura's her pa Laura's 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 patient. Laura's Sorry, Caitlin yeah. Stacey, yep. her patient. She goes back over the notes, sees the notes that had been passed to her before she took her on as a patient, and it's mm. like she talked about having witnessed her professor's suicide, and her professor was grinning at her before she died, and she's like, okay, I see a connection here. So Rose visits his widow, Victoria. Rose learns that the professor had also witnessed a suicide shortly before his own. Good. And there's kind of a cool moment where Rose is basically like to the widow, like, hey, like, I'm here because actually I, I, I think maybe there's a curse. And the widow's like, get the fuck out. Like, are you just like, are you just like some like horror, like morbid chaser? Like, and, and you would be like mm. that, right? You'd be trying to find sense of it. If someone came along and was like, no, your husband died of a curse. You'd be more pissed off than someone being like- Hugely. Yeah. Anyway, so Rose asks her ex-boyfriend, Joel, a police detective, to go through old police records. They find several cases of people having died by suicide in front of someone else, all of whom had re recently witnessed a suicide themselves. Like that's like an it follows chain that kind of we just have to click through. Right, yeah, okay. Right. So, so mm. that's the other sort of, I guess, contemporary horror trope. This is absorbing into the film's DNA, which is mm. this idea of like the the chain curse, which mm. is particularly spooky and particularly disturbing because this idea of a curse that's like it just it passes on to somebody else. Mm. It's not like a monster that's going to go out and kill people or whatever. It's like it's just a chain that it passes on to one person and it just it just keeps going. 
So Rose tries to patch things up with her sister and her partner, Trevor, but mm. finds that Trevor is only out for himself and has called Madeline to help her get over the situation without Rose knowing, right? So, again, a really cool part of the experience where the partner's like, actually, I don't really care about you. I'm just annoyed about how this is affecting my life. And I've gone above you and contacted your therapist to come to our house and talk to you, right? And she's a bit like, what the fuck? I did not ask for this. Feeling betrayed, Rose chastises Trevor, saying that she trusted him and all he did was walk away from her when she needed him. Holly compares Rose's behavior to their late mother, but an enraged Rose, having had enough of being pushed around by everyone, responds back by saying that Holly knows nothing of what happened. So there's this amazing moment, right? She's basically either being pushed or pushed away all the people she's like closest to Mm. again, which is like, you know, a really interesting point they're making. Mm. And there's this cool moment. Again, Wikipedia doesn't really go through the jump scares, but one of my favorite jump scares of this film is after Rose goes over to Holly to try and patch this up, but they have an argument and it blows up and it gets worse. She goes back to the car and she's just sitting in the car decompressing. And we see Holly come over to the car. And we're inside the car next to Rose, right? So all we're, we're seeing yep. outside the window and we see Holly come closer to the window. And obviously when she's right next to the window, we only see her torso. We can't see her head. Yep. She bangs on the window. It's a jump scare. Rose is like, oh, jumps. And then we see Holly's head like swing down, like uh, like swing sort of like down, uh, upside down and be uh. like, ah, like jump scare. It's so good. It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. Anyway. As that little anecdote suggests, Rose's hallucinations intensify. When Joel, her ex-boyfriend police officer, discovers that nearly all the witnesses died within a week of seeing the previous suicide, he comes to believe that Rose is cursed as well. Yeah. The one thing, the one thing that I didn't love about this film is there's clearly in this town and in these cases, these people killing themselves in really brutal ways after seeing someone else kill themselves. Like, it's clearly a chain. Yep. And Rose comes to her ex-boyfriend with evidence and he's like, oh, no, like, just stop. Fucking, they're unrelated <laughs> brutal suicides in this small town. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> people brutally kill themselves all the time and then the people who witness them go on to kill themselves. It's just, <laughs> just the way life is. It's a super triple coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of annoying. It's kind of annoying. Mm. He realizes something's going on when they go back to see, like they, they keep going back, back through this chain. And one of the murder, one of the, and, and again, like I probably should say again, it's like, again, I don't know how cool it is that all these characters kill themselves, but like that's the main mm. way that this antagonist works. While she's with Joel, they're going back through evidence and they see this uh, security camera footage of a service station where this woman is just filling up her car and this man is just standing, staring at her. Then he goes to the back seat of a nearby ute that has all these farm implements, pulls out a giant pair of shears, walks up to her and then just stabs the shears into himself in front of her, killing himself. And so what's really important about this is not just that they smile at you, that that you see these things, but these people kill themselves in like very brutal, messy, brutal, performative way. Performative's the right word. Mm. So now Joel and Rose are both in agreement that there's some sort of a curse. And so as they go over this chain, they notice dozens of people and 
all of them have died after witnessing a suicide in like a really short amount of time, except one person, Robert Talley, mm. who they find out instead murdered someone else. And then somebody who witnessed the murder that he committed then began the chain again, if that yeah. makes sense. Yes, it does. So Rose and Joel visit him in jail where he claims that there's some sort of an entity that feeds on trauma. This is this is one of the moments where I'm like, oh, okay, so it's like a direct, like, yeah, yeah. direct, like, metaphor. But it kind of doesn't take away from it because by now I'm really into this entity being this spooky chain curse. And the only way to escape it is to brutally kill someone else in front of a witness to traumatize them. Rose angrily rejects the option and leaves. She is con- and leaves. She is confronted at home by the entity in Madeline's form, where it gleefully warns her that she is running out of time. So Madeline being her um, uh, her therapist. And so, so more and more, Rose is having these hallucinations where she sees someone and it's a character from the film and we think everything's fine. And then all of a sudden it smiles and it's basically like you're going to die and you're running out of time. She impulsively drives to her hospital with a knife and walks into the hospital and murders Carl in front of Morgan, her boss. Like, and, and it's interesting, right? Like, we see her go into this hospital. Carl, remember, is that patient that was like, you're mm. going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. Yep. So she goes in with a giant kitchen knife and sort of stabs him a few times. Her boss comes in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? As she's stabbing Carl, Carl starts laughing and being like, ha, 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 with each stab. And then we go back to Morgan, who rips his face off. Okay, like... What? He just pulls it from the bottom and yeah. just rips his face off. Then it's revealed that she's in another hallucination. Rose wakes up in her car. Morgan knocks on the window and it's like, what are you doing? Rose is like, hey, I've got to get out of here. He notices the knife. He's like, maybe you should stay. But she's like, I've got to go. She speeds off and he is prompted to alert the police. I want to pause here because you're a very tough person who deals... <laughs> No, no, but you, 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 you're someone who goes headfirst into confrontation, as all your stories about being in the quiet carriage allude to. If you had a curse where you either were eventually going to be scared to death and kill yourself, or you had to brutally kill someone else, what would you do? I'd probably kill myself promptly in a way that was not curse related. So. I'd probably just try to get to some place promptly. You, you know, like once I was certain about the curse, I'd try to get somewhere that was beyond medical help and attention. If I was 100% confident on the curse, I think, I think that'd be the challenge of like, oh, is it real? <laughs> but if I had 100% confidence in the curse, uh, prompt effective suicide uh, unrelated to the curse. But I also think there's an option where it's kind of like you go back in time and kill Hitler. Or who you want to traumatize. Yeah. Well, no, or who you'd want to take out, right? Like, so would you go to like. I I usually don't think so. Like, I think if your chance to kill Hitler or your Donald Trumps or your fucking Berlusconis or your like Putins or your fucking Stalins or whatever, like, like, or your Pol Pots, like, like, I I don't actually, like, I, I don't take pleasure from the idea of causing the death of even a tormentor. Like, like if you were standing over baby Hitler, you're not like, ha, 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 this is to save everyone. You're like, this is, yeah, no, nah, like, I I don't know, Shag, do, do you have a, like, I guess it's a vengeance get out of jail free card is what you're referring to. Is there anyone you'd like to exact vengeance on, whether for the planet or for? Well, yeah, see, I guess that 
the reason I asked the question, and look, I, I know even talking about this stuff is weird and problematic, mm. and I hope this episode doesn't get us cancelled for having this conversation, mm. but this is what horror does. It's such yeah. an interesting quandary, right? And I guess, yeah, my thoughts were, do you disappear somewhere completely isolated and try to end the curse that way? Yep. Or is there a way you could weaponize this curse by potentially taking out a bad part of the world? And I'm not talking about, like, I'm not being like, go kill Donald Trump or whatever. And again, like, I'm not, I am not, I'm like, I don't mm. know legally if even, like, I am not going to no, kill don't any kill political. Donald Trump. No, 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 don't. <laughs> but if there was an equivalent, like, and I'm sure there is, like a Pol Pot mm. or someone in the world who is responsible for the genocide of peoples, mm. would that be a better way to direct the curse to that person and all their handlers. No, because no, you're trying to end the curse as well. Don't forget. Yeah, okay. Like, there, like there's a degree of self-sacrifice in, in my plan in that it would at least be having a crack at trying to end the curse. So having a crack at trying to go for a non-audience death that means there's no trauma to like, like I, I mean, the message of this movie is hurt, hurt people, hurt or, or whatever that line is, abusers abuse or uh, also abuse uh, the abused abuse or, or whatever that line is. So I just want to get out of the way of an audience. So I guess get to like a hospital <laughs> and OD there or like, you, you, you know, someone with enough um, fortitude to not freak out at seeing my corpse um, and try to end it that so, way. Well, look, well, look, I'm not trying to diagnose you on this show, mm. but th- there's- uh, But if you were. There's, there's, there's a school of thought in mm. either psychiatry or psychology. I can never remember the difference. Adele knows better than mm. me. But this idea of schema therapy and schemas are these like beliefs people have mm. based on things that have happened in the past. And mm. there, there are these core schemas that you have this core belief. It affects mm. the way you do things. And then mm. you doing those things has adverse things in your past and you talked about self-sacrificing right so self-sacrifice is mm. a, is you know a, like a like a schema is a is a yeah, schema hug. yeah but but what it can lead to is being resentful towards people because you self-sacrifice immediately and then they don't sort of repay the favor so i guess my problem is if you self-sacrificed and didn't end the curse you'd be pissed off I'd be super pissed, but I'd <laughs> like, but I'd like weigh the, you, you know, I'd weigh the balance of it up. Of like, if I'm certain to continue the curse one way or the other, I don't think I could live with the guilt of going and murdering traumatically someone else. Mm-hmm. So, so if we take that initial point of like, great, you know, I'm on the countdown to my own brutal suicide that's going to traumatize someone, someone else. And the curse probably knows what I'm doing. So probably driving in a car, I get involved in an awful car accident or, you know, something like that. But I think I try to take things into my own life. I'm going to die by suicide in any case. I think I try to die by suicide by my own hand. Shag, this is very grim. Like, haven't we previously talked about how, like, talking about suicide is not a good thing to do and we're not meant to do it? Yeah, yeah, maybe not. Should we just cut this whole bit out? I don't know. <laughs> Have we ever maybe done we that? Keep it in. Maybe we keep it in and then if we're criticised for it, we go, you're right. But this is, <laughs> yeah. So how to smile. <laughs> I haven't had time to properly process this film, basically. Yeah. And so I'm just I'm just giving you raw, unfiltered thoughts. But yeah, I guess so. my, my other thought that I didn't even think about is, like, to your point, if you know that this curse is coming for you, just fucking live it up. Just go to all the things. <laughs> go to all the things you like. You never thought you could do. Like you know, like apply for that job. Get on that roller coaster. Do all those things. Record that song. Put out that single. 
this is why the threat you're going to die should be an empowering threat. <laughs> like, you are going to die. It's like, yeah, man, like, this is it. This is it. Like, you're going to die. <laughs> Smile should <laughs> so be like someone... a super empowering movie of all these people just chasing their dreams. You're going to die. It's like, yes. yes. Okay, okay cool. I'm going to get to it. I'm going like, to go get it. Maybe, yeah, she yeah, ne- yeah. maybe Rose never wanted to be a therapist. <laughs> maybe there's something else in her life she wanted to do, and this gives her the bravery to do it. But for like four days, like it's the ticking countdown like that sort of undercuts You can fulfill the- most dreams in four days, I think. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> right, you can. Okay. All right. I don't know if we're going to keep this in or not. Like we- <laughs> Who knows? Like that's part of the fun. Part of the fun is imagine if we did. What imagine we do we- know is this is no longer the best episode of Smoke Up ever. <laughs> this was going to be the best. Maybe that's the curse. <laughs> that is the curse. We did. You we can't say ourselves. it's going to be a perfect episode. Okay. Ugh. Okay. <coughs> Rose drives to her abandoned family home. So, again, they do some really good job foreshadowing in the mm. beginning of this film, knowing there is this abandoned family home where mm. the mum OD'd and both mm. sisters don't really know quite what to do with it. The older sister wants mm. to sell it. She doesn't want to sell it. But basically it's just mm. sitting there abandoned because it's this site of trauma for both of them. Mm. Realising that she cannot pass on the entity's curse if she remains alone, She drives to this house. When she's there, she confronts the entity in the form of her mother. And Mm. initially, it's revealed that as a child... I'm a metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, it is a bit like that. (laughs) Um, But she finds out that when she was a child, Rose found her mother as she was dying from a drug overdose, but decided not to get help. The entity attacks Rose and pins her to the floor. And this is where I think, like, one of my favourite lines from horror in a while has emerged because like i said before like i feel like it's quite an empowering line so the entity says to her you can't escape your own mind which i I, again i think it's like a really Mm. cool way of describing why this thing is so scary but then she says back to it neither can you Uh, no i love that i love that because it's like yeah no no you're right like I can't escape it because this is only happening in my mind, but therefore I can control it because it is happening in my mind and not outside but of hang my on. mind. No, no, no. Doesn't, doesn't that mean all the other deaths by suicide didn't happen? No, no, they did, but the way it controls you is because it gets in your mind. Yeah, so this is like Freddy Krueger essentially. Kind of, no, it basically now. like once it attaches to you, it makes you hallucinate till eventually it gets you. But that suggests it's stronger than your own mind <laughs> and that it was been free of your mind before pitch, it came I into I thought your it mind. was a cool line. I'm just going to move on. I was pretty- yeah, okay. I, all right. All right. I thought sorry, that was sorry. cool. I'm still having fun. But <laughs> it's anyway, still a perfect episode. But anyway, she smashes a lot because the, the house is, you know, has no power because it's abandoned. She was using like mm. a little oil lamp. She smashes mm. the oil lamp over its head, setting it on fire. Um, and it like, as, you know, as it like confronts her- it becomes this sort of like elongated figure that's, you know, maybe nine or ten feet tall, long fingers, kind of mm. looks like her mum, but is like a grotesque version of her mum. Mm. And now it's on fire. She leaves the house, looking back as the house catches a light, symbolically letting go of her trauma. These are the words of Wikipedia, not mine. Mm-hmm. Rose drives back to Joel's house, her ex-boyfriend, the cop, asking to stay the night. He's like, yeah, you can stay here. You can stay forever. And she's like, what? And then he starts smiling and tells her, 
he'll stay with her forever and reveals that this was an entire hallucination. He starts chasing her. She runs outside. She turns around and she's back outside the house. She hasn't actually gone inside her mom's house yet. <clears throat> there's a lot of it was so all like, a dream like in this There's film. a lot of pumped in this movie yeah. as well that I'm kind of like, it's like, hey, you thought this happened? Didn't happen. It's like, oh. <laughs> it's like when there's a dream of like, oh, okay. <laughs> that didn't happen. Awesome. <laughs> Joel pulls up, having tracked Rose's phone, and she's like, no, 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 you can't be here. I can't pass on this curse. Joel knows this, for fuck's sake. So, yeah, right? It's it's kind of dumb that he's like, oh, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> so she runs inside and locks the door because she doesn't want the curse to pass to him. The entity reveals itself, having still been in the house, and at this point, it's still this elongated version of her mother, but yes. then it rips its face off and all of its skin off and we see this like skinless face with multiple mouths and they describe it here it's a skinless semi-humanoid monstrosity whose body is made from the previous victims that it consumed with multiple sets of malformed jaws nesting within an enormous smiling mouth and that's why it's all about smiling because it has heaps of mouths from all the people that it's taken on yeah I, i i want more of these is its thing The sight of the entity's true form is so frighteningly traumatic to Rose that it causes her to go into a fugue state where she basically just goes blank. The the entity then opens her mouth to a ridiculous degree and then slowly pulls itself inside Rose. Joel breaks down the front door. The place is pitch black. It's shining his light around until he finds Rose standing still with a, like a you know a, a kerosene bottle above her head. Yep, got a big smile on her face. She drops it, turns around, she's smiling, lights a match. We cut to him. We hear the match engulf her on fire, and it passes the curse onto him. And that's the end of smile. Kerosene wouldn't light that fast, Jake. Would it? I don't know if it's kerosene. It's something. It's something that's okay. Something that would light. Yes, that's uh, like. Sorry, I do. I think we might have jinxed this when we said this was going to be a perfect episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I like this episode. It did its best. Like, 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 yeah. I'm sort of a little bit flummoxed. Firstly, great concept, amazing, right? I think like step step one. Credit where credit's due. Um, exactly as you said, 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 Shag. If good horror is about taking the everyday and flipping it to be horrific, eleven out of ten, perfect idea. The execution. It looked great, and it strikes me that it would have been well plotted. And and I hear what you say about great jump scares. Um, plot wise, it did seem to unravel a little bit, um, and sort of crumble to dust a little bit in our hands as we tried to work through the Wikipedia synopsis together. So I don't want to be like the introducer of the sequel you watched the other week and suck the fun out of a movie you just enjoyed. But it struck me that we had a great concept and an okay to reasonably good film made from a great concept. Isn't it wild that I told that story about the Sydney Film Festival guy and then I went on that tangent of asking you of what you would do and then we had that conversation, which I'm I'm still not sure we should have had. That yeah, we might have edited it out. So like, this might I, be a conversation I, I, that never happened. It, there might be a conversation in here that just doesn't exist <laughs> and you'll be like, what the fuck are you referring to? Yep. And- in the same way that this film talks about how trauma begets trauma, abuse begets abuse, you know, 
Mm. They often talk about if if there are bullies in your life, well, who bullied them? In the same yep. way that that happened, we ruined our own episode by telling <laughs> that story. Isn't that wild? Is that not wild? Uh, you guys can't see this, but Shag's smiling really, <laughs> really spookily wide right now. I am actually smiling. <laughs> like you can hear it in my voice. I am smiling. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?